Hey, welcome back to Music Sucks and I Want to Die. My name's Jake. My name is Matt. And we have some good stuff today. We usually talk about music that sucks, hence the name of the podcast. Today we're talking about music that doesn't suck and some would say is actually badass. I w- was thinking earlier that this is probably the most excited I've been for one of our episodes, but in a good way. Yeah, exactly. You like know, no, but... There's a, like a strange, I guess, like s- almost like sadist kind of excitement you get oh, when yeah, you're about definitely. to shit talk the living crap out mm-hmm. of God knows what. Morgan like Wallen. Morgan Wallen, for yeah. instance. Hey. <laughs> but uh, today we're going to do the opposite of shit talking and just endlessly praise, I guess, what would be my favorite label, because I can't really think of any of the labels I follow. Maybe Pi. But uh, this is my favorite label of all time. It's kind of weird to say that because, like, who follows labels specifically? Well, a lot of people do, actually. Oh, okay. Well, well in the jazz world, I'd say. And oh, okay. Well, this is a jazz label. music world. Yes, yes, it is. Yes. But it's also more than that. We're talking <laughs> about edition contemporary music, ECM Records. What? Yes, we are. Yeah, one of... It's... <sighs> It's a hard label. Like I was having, I was really excited, but there's so much stuff to talk about in it that I'm really into. Um, but yes, it's hard to almost call it a jazz label because of all the crazy stuff they do. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to think of another label that has been this consistent in output and overall sound for 50 plus years now. Yeah, like quality as well. Like. Yeah, you can say there's like the blue note sound, which is a thing as well. I'm <laughs> too, but. Uh, ECM is just so all over the place, but overall still has the same sort of... It's got cohesion. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how they do it. It's hundreds and hundreds of albums. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and like you're, you get like a huge variety of shit. Like, for instance, we're probably going to listen to, I see on the playlist there, we're doing the guy with the soprano sax and fucking <laughs> Gregorian chant. And then we move on to a quartet with bass clarinet, piano, ba- drums, and bass, yeah. and they just do all kinds of weird polyrhythms. And, and then we go on like to it, like though. new tango with just accordion and cello. And it's like, this all sounds awesome, but like still feels like it's under the right umbrella somehow. It does. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with the ECM's founder, Manfred Eicher. Um, yeah. I'm going to start out and say that this episode will probably have the most mispronunciations that we've ever had in any episode because all these people's names are fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we're, that's we're, true. we're sorry ahead of time <laughs> just because I'm, I'm going to botch all of these names. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm probably just going to let you do it so you take all the flack. Oh, great. Thanks. Well, yeah, anyway, Mr. Manfred Eicher is one of the co founders, but really like the head of ECM Records. Yeah. Born in 1943 in Linden, Germany. Lindau? <laughs> Lindau. I can't remember my writing. <laughs> uh, he studied music at the Academy of Music in Berlin. And apparently was a pretty competent jazz musician, but then decided he didn't want to play music anymore. He wanted to be on sort of the other side uh, in producing music. So in 1969, he founded ECM with Carl Egger and Madfred Schiffney. But he has been essentially the driving force behind the label, the head of the label. He uh, produces, we'll get into his production style, but... 
Uh, they said he's on every album. He technically yeah, produced I was looking at that. a production he's, credit on every single He's got album. credits on every one, yeah. Yes. So we'll, he we'll get is, into um, that. But <laughs> he's crazy. <laughs> he's crazy. Um, seems like a really chill dude, though. I guess uh, so. But uh, any case, yes. Yeah, so the philosophy, I think, he takes in this, which is partly why all these records, A, sound awesome and are sweet, and B, have that cohesion, is he's... Ex- he's I don't want to say he's very selective in that he like only does a few because he uh, records a ton of artists, but he purposely only records artists that he likes and that he trusts in a collaborative sense to work with. So it's not necessarily about, I mean, obviously they have to pay their bills, but it's more, this is music he wants to hear by musicians he likes and trusts and wants to work with. Yeah. I think uh, some jazz website kind of gave the same quote you just kind of did. Where it's like, Iker's deceptively simple aesthetic is unfailingly harmonious. He records musician he likes, allows them to trust their own instincts, and plays a directorial role. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty much what we said, except, you know, they're used like words that make sense and are eloquent in any <laughs> fucking way. Fucking jazz writers, god I know, fucking we hate them all. damn it. Um, so I think before we get into like the nitty gritty of the music, uh, let's talk about his recording style. Uh, so most of the albums are recorded in Germany at their studio, mm-hmm. although not every one of them because this shit's all over the world at this point, but heavily European slant yeah. for a lot of this music, um, which is why we're going to butcher all the names. all episode Yes, long. exactly. God damn it. But apparently each recording just is around, takes around three days, two days of recording, one day of mixing. That's not bad, dude. Yeah, it's not. And I... I've done longer sessions than I that know. for albums that turned out way shittier. <laughs> uh, but I, so that, I think that's part of the sound. I mean, there's a lot of things you can describe in the ECM sound, like the spaciousness and the atmosphere mm-hmm. stuff. But there is also this sort of sense of, you know, immediacy being in this room. It's not, it's not like all, obviously there's a lot of improvised music, but it's not all improvised, but it very much sounds like people sitting around together and playing music as opposed to, going in and like putting in a lot of different tracks and overdubs and things like that. Yeah. It does happen. But yeah, there's a lot of that intimacy and like, it's clear that these people are either a, or both like a really good musicians playing it all at the same time Mm -hmm. and be like, have this, there's just like, there's one sound that you can always hear through this. Exactly. No matter what instruments you have, it's not, you know, they're not in some giant cathedral in the middle of nowhere. And then Mm -hmm. for the next song, they go down to, uh, the basement of some shitty bar or whatever. Exactly, yeah. It's a very, like, performance way of recording an album, I guess I'd say. Um, But apparently, so from what I've seen with interviews from some of the musicians on the label, his role, in a lot of sense, is actually um, suggesting things sometimes, but it's not necessarily... He doesn't come in as like, okay, let's try it again at this temple, or he'll... Apparently, a lot of times he'll come in and just be like, that was good, let's just take a break and go to town and get some coffee and hang out for a while. All right, let's go. Like, I, he, I don't even know what it, like, produ- producer doesn't really seem like quite the correct term, but I guess that essentially is what a producer should be doing in a way. He, but he more produces the artists themselves, I would say, in a way, sure. as opposed to the technical, like, aspects of the music and trying to direct it that way. He very much believes what they're doing and will sort of just, I guess, sway the mood in ways yeah. that he deems fit. If he has a suggestion, he will gently nudge it towards yeah, that. Yeah, but give I guess... He'll a thought, and he probably he's... won't get super butthurt if you're like, no, that's stupid as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't think he... Yeah, apparently he doesn't even do that that much. It's just very much like, 
let's hang out and talk about music and <laughs> maybe that will inform it something. So very interesting. Um, but yeah, let's, that's Mr. Manfred. Do you want to get into some music? Yeah, let's, uh, let's just start out. We, uh, have a curation, so to speak. Yeah, this is, this episode's basically just going to be us listening to really good music and hopefully inspiring you to do the same. Yeah. And, uh, uh with that... Let's get started here. This is the Mal Waldron Trio uh, right now off the album Free at Last. Fired up. So I want to play that one. That is the very first recording that ECM put out. Oh, yes. Mal Waldron Free at Last in 1969 was their first uh, release. Uh, so, like we were saying, it's a jazz label, and definitely in the early days, it's it's jazz. But even that, I mean, it's definitely got that sort of Miles Davis new quintet sound to it, but a little more free, I would say. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, we're not really. As we'll see in a lot of their like jazzier stuff, it's definitely not the kind of music that's head solo out kind of thing. No, they're trying to do a little more or even mm -hmm. a little less sometimes. Yeah. Like they're for this one, all you hear in the first 40 seconds is that little ostinato figure. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, some parallel escalating chord motion to try and build some tension and then come exactly. off it. So mm -hmm. it's a, in a way, it's like almost simpler than head solo head. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. It, in this particular again, case. It's, yeah. It's, again, it's that same kind of thing of musicians being in a room, doing what they do. Mm -hmm. um, I think this kind of stuff, it's interesting to compare to Blue Note or any other of these jazz labels because that essentially was the same thing. Everyone just going into Rudy Van Gelder's studio and laying it down. Um, but even in this case, they don't really have that ECM sound yet, but you could kind of tell where that's going to go. And yeah. I wanted to contrast that to the most recent release that ECM has put out, which is Nick Barch. <laughs> we need more Americans on this label. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this is just, uh, just Nick Barth's solo piano. And uh, let's listen to a little of this and kind of see where they are 50 years later. All right, let's do it.
dope. Um, I like him a lot. He's cool. Oh, I love Nick Barsh, dude. Uh, <laughs> I think we talked <laughs> about him on episode 10. I think so. Yes, yes. Um, but it's, I, I theorize here that the jazz sound as we know it today would not be a thing without ECM records. Um, in that there's, if you're going from like that blue note model, and then if we listen to that Mal Waldron again, where it was still somewhat of that jazz time, a little, a little more outside, and then getting to this where, you know, he's classified as a jazz musician, but this gets in that hole. It's like, well, what is jazz and this? And I think ECM has a lot to do with that, just sort of allowing all these different influences to come and influences music that even if they were saying it's jazz, it's like, well, I mean, this is, is this is pretty through composed. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't I, I know his whole like module thing. I don't even know exa exactly how all that works, but um, <laughs> I, it's just I I just think the impact of like jazz as a genre is very significant from ECM. Yeah. Like, if we listen I mean, to modern jazz today, they branched jazz off into its whole uh, their own direction. There's mm -hmm. like, yeah, there's an, again, like you were saying, there's a blue note sound, there's a New York, all that shit. But like ECM has its own jazz sound, and they started right about that time, the late yep. 60s, mm -hmm. where, you know, they really seem to have their own kind of spin on the entire genre. Exactly. Exactly. Um, as far as jazz, too, what I, man, since we're doing piano now, I don't know why I'm talking about piano so fucking much. Um, <laughs> but I was saying, we can't really have a jazz, jazz ECM conversation without talking about Keith Jarrett. Mm -hmm. And you might be more of a Keith Jarrett expert than I. Uh, Probably. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be true. I am actually really dumb. Uh, well, for people, Keith Jarrett used to be a sideman mostly for like Miles Davis um, and others. Uh, Art Blakely, I think he played in like one mm -hmm. of the Jazz Messengers yep. groups. Uh, but apparently, uh, Manfred Eicher actually convinced him to have a solo career. And he's like, you can make it as a solo pianist, which he obviously has been <laughs> being like one of the best jazz piano players ever, not to mm -hmm. mention classical and other things too. Um, I wanted to play a little off of the Cone concert, which is, I think, the best-selling jazz solo piano album of all time. Whoa. I think so. Best-selling of some sort of like, some if you narrow it down left like that. Yeah. Um, but this is a very famous recording that basically Keith Jarrett would just go to all these concert, or concert halls across Europe and sit down at a piano and improvise an entire show. And it's really fucking good. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know how you do it that consistently good. Um, but let's just listen to a little bit off of the Cone concert. All right. Let's do it. Man, Keith Jarrett's really good, dude. Yeah. 
the subtlety of the articulations, the bringing out of the inner voice for the melody, and mm-hmm. using the chords on the outside as support. Pretty difficult. Uh, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty improvised on the spot in front of a shit ton of people. Yeah, it's for like, like, what, 10K? Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. Um, that is nasty. Yeah, and I think that one of the biggest things that kind of rocked him to jazz stardom. But mm. he also did a lot of work with ECM and his uh, trio with... Uh, Jack DeJanette and Gary Peacock, which is all really good, too. Yeah. Um, oh, Jack DeJanette. Oh. I know, I know. It's a, so <laughs> when I was I was going through my records, and not that I have a ton of records, but I was just kind of curious. I was like, how many of these are like ECM? And it's like, like these are all my ECMers <laughs> that I found. <laughs> and, it kind of went through the same thing. I own zero records. Right. But I was just like going, I was looking at the, I was kind of doing the opposite approach where I was looking at ECM's discography, and then I was like, wait, that too? That know, too, right? that too. Oh right. my God, Pat Metheny's full circle. What the fuck? Oh my God, Arvo Parrott's on there like five times. What the fuck? Steve Reich. <laughs> yeah, it's it's insane. And like, um, I wanted to talk about because as I was going through, it's like, I think 90% of these are guitar records. And <laughs> this is more my personal thing, but oh my God, like jazz guitar as we know it would not be a thing without ECM. Like I was thinking like, who are some of my favorite guitar players? And they're all fucking on this label. <laughs> Like Pat Metheny, Bill Frizzell, Steve Tibbetts, David Torn, John Abercrombie, uh, Ralph Towner, Turs Raptal. Like, these are all like my favorite of favorite guitar players and literally all on one label. Yeah. And, I, and they're not all the same either. They're not. They're very different. I struggled to find a uh, recording of something to play to be like, I love guitar on this. And I ended up just not picking one because I could. There's too many. Decide. It's too near and dear to your heart. It is. Um, I did actually do want to play one record, a little bit of one recording, though. Um, so this is from David Torn. And I mostly want to play this because I, I don't think he's as well known as the others, even though he's been a pretty busy guy. I mean, he played with like David Bowie on a bunch of stuff as more of a producer. And he's, he's done a shit ton of stuff that you probably have heard, but I don't think he's really a household name on like, like a Matheny or anything. Um, gotcha. But this is from Only Sky. It's solo record from 2015 um and it has a lot of really beautiful ambient stuff on it which again is that sort of ecm jazz sound mm-hmm. but i wanted to like just open up how um open they were to experimentation um and noise and electronics so um let's see i wanted to play was a cave there yeah all right let's listen to a little bit of it that sounds awesome David Dorn. <laughs> Dude, that was badass. So yeah. much space, so much reverb. So yeah, much I know. I, de- I think, and like uh, different kinds of reverb going on in both ears. Like, mm-hmm. I think cool. that one, um, that 
that particular recording, I know he he did not record at the East Game Studios. I think he went to some concert hall in New York. I mean, it's got to be something. Yeah, space yeah. the amps out He's, super far. Huge, yeah. yeah, it's fucking great. But and I, a all that noisy stuff, but it's still so musical and still has that same fucking ECM sound. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a great record too. There's a lot of just really pretty sort of reverby guitars and stuff. But I it, it I you know I would not really be a guitar player without these records. Like they were just so influential when I was studying music and getting into music. And it's funny that it's jazz, but it's like, you'll see this a lot when you hear people talk about ECM. It's like, there's jazz and then there's like ECM jazz. It's a separate category almost, right? Yes. This doesn't sound like West Montgomery. I love West Montgomery too, but West Montgomery's tight. Yeah, but like, you know, this is not, this is not like hot party music. This is very, contemplative sit down and like drink yeah this is this is attention and yeah attention seeking music if that makes sense like not that's the weird way to put it but like attention requiring music it is yeah this is not like well it can function as background music nicely too but yeah it's really meant for you to listen and i really appreciate that they put that effort into every release it's not mm-hmm. like oh this guy's popular let's just like knock an album out he hasn't had one in a year yeah <laughs> um but i do like uh there apparently there's a quote on their website that i thought um the most beautiful sound next to silence oh yeah that's uh, like think, their uh that's their caption now isn't it i know yeah yeah and i think that that sums up their sound mm-hmm. pretty well i would say yeah um, their whole philosophy really probably yeah, for real. Um, but anyway, that was me on my jazz ECM rant. I don't know. Did you have anything you wanted to play? Uh, yeah. I mean, I love everything ECM's done in their entire life. It, but uh, everything they've done is kind of has like a similar sound, like we've been saying. And nothing kind of represents that more than I would say an Arvo Pertz, who almost falls directly in line with all of these principles. You know, he's. He's minimalist. His uh, music requires generally like a lot of ambience, and he's he leaves a lot of space uh, in between phrases. And he also pushed classical music in its own direction in a way. He's come up with a couple minimalist concepts that I'm don't remember how to pronounce. <laughs> I was but, reading uh, about those, and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of them is like tinnitabulation, yeah. which is a very simply the idea that you know one part. Moves in an arpeggio, the other one, one moves in stepwise part. motion. Oh, shut up. <laughs> no, so God, we can still uh, make these funny play... jokes across uh, states here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to play a little bit of an Arvo Pear tune that's. Dude. <laughs> what? Dude. That's snapping Arvo Pear, man. Yeah, dude, he swings. That cat. But yeah, I want to play a piece by Arvo Pear. And uh, I was shocked when I learned that Arvo Pear was also on ECM. Like everything else has always been. <laughs> like I was kidding, more stuff is always going to be on there. So yeah, this is Tabula uh, Tabula Rasa Movement One.
So dope. That shit's so badass. <laughs> like, I know. I <laughs> so uh, I kind of want to get in just a little bit of specifics on pieces like this. So yeah. this is this is our parents' wheelhouse, right? Is this kind of um, it's, it's tonal music, but very minimal and like just the little things that change really make it special. So in the first kind of go around through the melody there, it was all sort of this arpeggiated violin line, right? Very much strict. And then on the second pass through, you get start getting that little stepwise motion. And then just a little bit of cascade of the same line down through all the string parts. It's very simple, but hard to execute and make sound not boring as shit. And Arvo Parrot is a god. Yeah. And that's so uh, pretty. It's so pretty. Uh, I'm glad you brought that one up because this is also a very, very important record for ECM2. Mm-hmm. Um, so this came out in 1984. Well, this 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 recording was released this in 1984. Yeah. Um, he wrote it much earlier, I know. Um, but that started the uh, a subseries of ECM records, the new series, which mm-hmm. focused on classical. And again, it's kind of like the jazz thing. It's like we say classical in this... Again, another genre that doesn't really have a good definition anymore, but no. this all does have its very own sound. Although, I think there's a few recordings of like Keith Jarrett doing Bach on their classical series too, so they still do have like more traditional. Classical. Yeah, I mean, they just released one like a month ago with uh, a whole Mozart piano sonata with oh, a chamber orchestra from Japan. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so but they did again really focus on newer uh, composers and artists. Um, so it, the uh, new series was actually made for this recording. Uh, Manfred was a huge supporter of Park and was basically like, okay, we're going to get you on here and we need to present this in a different way. It can't just be, here's another ECM record because it's, uh, I guess it was just really special to him. And this is apparently also the first recording that really got attention outside of like Russia and the Soviet Union, um, kind of brought him more to the Western world. So. Mm kickstarted his career i guess in a lot of ways and they um i think every recording he's done after that has been on ecm yeah, i think so yeah and, uh, keith jarrett's also like done a lot of that his stuff too fucking keith jarrett man he's got his fingers everywhere <laughs> um i did want to play a little um so that was new series was made for that in 1984 but they had put out classical recordings before that mm-hmm. and then went back and put them out again as the new series. Uh, but the first classical piece that was put out that I want to listen to was Steve Reich. Or Reich. Or Reich. Steve Reich. Reich. Uh, in 1978, Music for 18 Musicians, which is actually one of my favorite pieces. But let's listen to a bit of that. All right.
Man, you didn't play all 55 minutes of it. I know. What a sad world. <laughs> uh, I love that what piece. They actually world. have a really good re-recording that came out in like 98 or something that sounds fucking amazing. Uh, check that I out. Mean, this sounded really good, dude. It, it does, but I was when I was making the playlist, I found the re-recording. Because actually, I think it's probably the first ECM record I ever heard because I remember my grandma gave it to me for like my 13th birthday or something stupid like wow, that. Wow, happy birthday. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> but I remember actually being pretty into it at the time because I was like, oh, this is weird. This is yeah. cool. Um, so I found that recording first. I was listening to it. I was like, fuck, it sounds so good. But I realized that it was a more recent recording because it sounded too good. <laughs> so I went back and found this one, which does sound really good. But the new one is like beastie. Oh, I love it. Um, okay. But anyway, it blows my mind, too, that this was being put out at the same time as, like, Keith Jarrett doing jazz trio modern stuff by the same label. It's like, yeah. how? And yet it still sounds like the same label. I know. How? How did <laughs> they do it? <laughs> it's so cool. It is. Um, I think a big part of the sound, too, for the jazz and the classical is, like, the mixing of those genres. And, and obviously they separate them in their new series now, but like you hear a lot of like chamber influences in their jazz music and mm -hmm. a and lot of more versa, yeah. yeah yeah um which <laughs> brings us to our favorite album here mr jan garbarek oh, and the baby. hilliard ensemble <laughs> from 1994 <laughs> uh what is it officium i think this album is awesome it's a very famous album. People probably know it, but yeah. it's also ridiculously stupid. Yeah, I was, it's like there's no doubt that it is good, but it's fucking stupid, dude. Let's listen to it a little. Yeah, let's just, I'm not going to say any more about it. Let's just fucking dive right into it, shall we? So goofy. <laughs> I have a huge, like, shit-eating grin on my face from just listening to that. Dude. It's it's so funny, but also awesome. At the it same sounds time. awesome. <laughs> I have was... only made it through this whole album once without laughing. Oh, <laughs> but, um, but I was watching an interview with Jan Gobrick about this album, and apparently it was Manfred's idea. Like they were discussing, like, or they were recording the the Hilliard Ensemble already, or they were on the label, and then. I guess they were just talking about it like, well, what if you just like played some little solo-y <laughs> stuff over what they were doing? <laughs> They'll sing the same thing and you just wank over it. Yeah, that's essentially the discussion they had and they're like, fuck it. Dude, Studio two days, If someone suggested that to me, I would like shit my pants in excitement. Right. That sounds so fun. Imagine being that guy. 
Imagine being Jan Garbrink. <laughs> He's got um, another album you would really like. I didn't I decide not to play any of it, but you, sh you should check out specifically. It's um, Ragas and Sagas. Oh, and it's almost sick. the same idea, except he's playing over like Indian <laughs> music. <laughs> it's, it's like really good though. Okay. I think that happened like the year after this one, so I guess they were going for a theme. Um, that's a good name too, man. I know, right? Um, but like, I think that's such a special thing about this label is that the fact that these two artists were on it and easily had the opportunity to do something stupid like this. And it still came out really good. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, it's a pretty famous album, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. for what it is. Yeah, well, I, I think ECM did that a lot. I mean, if we could we could have done a whole episode on the jazz. We could have done a yeah. whole episode on jazz of the 70s of ECM. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> they did a lot of, like, collaborative stuff, like, within their artists, where they were like, hey, Gary Burton, what if you played with uh, Chick Corea for an album? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and why not? that album is incredible. yeah. And a lot of these were just like Manfred's suggestions, like, you guys seem like you'd get along. Let's get you in the studio together and plays like some standards and see what happens or something. And I'm really curious, like, now, what the following for like ECM is like. I know they're a very major jazz label, mm -hmm. but like, how popular do these albums get? Well, do you know, I mean, if you think, I mean, I guess it's mostly artist dependent because someone like Pat Metheny or Bill Frizzell are obviously going to sell a lot mm -hmm. i mean we're talking jazz a lot here i guess right yeah um, always and that. obviously and obviously keith jarrett um mm -hmm. although keith jarrett's had so many albums now that i can't imagine they all sell that they well ain't at this all point. Be winners. <laughs> i guess Matheny does at this point too um but i mean they're very well known in the jazz world i don't know much about like in the classical world though if that's a thing although, yeah i mean i just it's hard to believe that this is what i'm saying is like manfred's seemingly doing this without the motive for massive amounts of money. I was thinking about that too. I was, I, I mean, they must have a very low overhead, especially if it's yes. just a tiny little studio and you have to go there to do it and like. Yeah. But like, I guess, yeah, yeah two days or three days for to make a record and then, but I mean, still like, well, it, interesting. So as all these records I have from them, um, they, I, besides like one or two I bought used, you can find so many ECM records in record stores, and they're only yeah. like they're like ten bucks each. Mm -hmm. And I, and like most of them, I didn't even know. I just saw, I was like, oh, it's ECM, and oh, Bill Frizzell's playing on it. I'll buy it. And <laughs> Grab it, it. It was fucking awesome. Um, but like, it's so easy to find a lot of their older stuff. Um, and I don't know why that is because maybe like these are big names. So like, I don't I don't know why it's so cheap. Something weird's going on. Uh, yeah. There, there's something that's just not clicking for me in the way that this record label works. Maybe artists aren't getting paid shit, but I maybe, think. dude. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's like the secret. I don't know. I did. Maybe I was, we'll get a sweet interview with Manfred someday. That'd be cool. I that'd was be sick. I was looking. Um, Manfred, their, call me. <laughs> their new releases, like especially the vinyl, though, is like super expensive. Oh, really? But that's another weird thing because it's it's expensive too because it's a German label, so you have to like get it to America. And I think they do new American editions, but still that adds to the cost. So I'm still confused why all oh, these records were like 10 bucks, but then their new ones are like 25. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll never know. I did see in 2017, they put all their entire catalog on every streaming service. Yep. And I guess part of that was they didn't want people to, people were like getting like high, uh, low quality rips. 
of their music because you can't you couldn't like find it it wasn't that widely available besides buying it at the store i guess and so they're like well we don't want people listening to our music like the shit versions of it so here it's right. all free you can check it out so i mean i guess it has enough of a following that they would do that yeah i, I mean I, lots of articles came out in the music press when that happened mm -hmm. i know uh I know the Rolling Stone did like a big ECM feature that week, that month or whatever, and then Pitchfork did like the top twenty-five songs off ECM. <laughs> songs sure of ECM. Really That'd be a funny like a uh, little album like songs of ECM. It's like what the yeah. fuck would you even An put ECM on that compilation? Yeah, <laughs> um, it'd probably still be good. Yeah, I'm just looking at their um, uh, roster too right now, and it is like you know like a lot of the. Most famous of like, yeah, today's they're, they're jazz top musicians right are now. on here. So yeah, top, I, I'm thinking of Jay Ayers on there right now. Yeah, and yeah. Like, mm -hmm. um, so I got. I mean, I guess you got to imagine like the recording is so simple and straightforward. It can't cost that much, and that, and they probably have enough artists with big names that can support the smaller ones. So, I mean, that's so cool. It's cool. It's really cool. I don't it's know. It's almost it's, like a like in the capitalist music world we live in. That's like a little oasis. Yeah. Because they're the European side. fuckers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck Europe. <laughs> they get it all, don't they? Fuckers. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about their world music, too. Yes. Um, which I'm not as familiar with of their jazz, although, um, again, super important in bringing world music into jazz, um, letting people do that. I did want to bring uh, play a little of one of my favorite groups that did this, Kadona. Mm -hmm. which uh, was Don Cherry, the trumpet player with uh, Ornette Coleman. This was like sort of his band afterwards. Um, and it's like trumpet and sitar and percussion. And fucking cool music. So let's do a little bit of Kadona. All right. Kadona. What? Kadona. <laughs> <laughs> It's really cool that they just did that, and they're like, yeah, let's put this fucking thing out. Yeah, <laughs> like, let's release it, like, now. <laughs> I can just imagine those three guys sitting in a room with all their, like, instruments, just, like, sitting in a circle, and being like, it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> we think, did it, guys. I think that record, the, they, they did three records, and I forget which one this is on, um, but... This I is think, on uh, Codona. I'm oh, sorry, not, not this particular song, <laughs> okay. but... Um, I was just thinking they, uh, all their music does seem like very heavily improvised. Um, 
but there's one song, and I'll have to look it up because I forget. It's really funny. They do this whole thing. And it's basically like that. I think it's kind of like, you know, spacey and weird. And they start going into um, a Stevie Wonder line. What is that? Um, but the bump. I can't remember what that. Sir Duke. Yes, they go into that little like solely thing, just like one of them starts playing it slowly, and then they all the others like kind of jump in on it, and just like randomly in the middle of it, it's kind of funny because it's like sitar doing it and stuff. As long as he does like lots of the like the bends and the ornaments with it. Yeah, it's it's just sort of like you can tell that they didn't like plan to do it. It's it's pretty interesting, and they just. I wonder if they all hated themselves while they did it. They might have. No, I just love the fact that they could do that. Um, yeah, that's cool. But and then uh, it's on a record. I know. Uh, but also, world music. I mean, you and I have also brought up some artists in the listenings of the week that have been on, that are on ECM. Mm-hmm. And they actually, yeah, it's not it's not just jazz guys trying to play world music. They actually have like like real people. Real people. We each have like a different oud player from ECM. We both like. I'm that's right. Sure. Uh, Anwar, Brahim, again? Anwar Brahim. Anwar Brahim. And mine is Rabi Abu Khalil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Blue Camel is like one of my favorite jazz albums. <laughs> it's got hella people on it, dude. You yeah, know who's who, on that shit? I forget who's on that. It's like Steve Swallow and like, uh, I'm just going to pull it up. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. I did not prepare this. Oh, I just typed Sweep Swallow into Google. Wow. What a smart guy. <laughs> but yeah, it's like heavy, heavy hitters. I will say Steve Swallow is like on so many ECM records. That's true. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Kenny Wheeler, Milton Cord- Cardona. I don't know who the rest of these people are, but yeah, Kenny Wheeler, Steve Swallow, and uh, Robbie, obviously, Milton Cardona, Nabi Kait, who's a big percussion dude. Ramesh Shatam. I can't pronounce anything anymore. We did warn everyone at the beginning of this. I <laughs> now instead of mispronouncing European names, we're mispronouncing like Middle Eastern names. So yeah, we've moved on. <laughs> we, we've moved on from that world. Okay, so I, I was looking too. Like I, I through my records, I was like, oh, I forgot. I have like a Zakir Hussein, who was the topple player that played with Joe McLaughlin. I have, I have one of his albums that was released on ECM, and Joe McLaughlin's on it playing acoustic guitar. It's pretty fucking cool. And he's filthy. Yeah. Yeah, it, they. Just like just this fucking anything goes attitude they had there is so cool and it it's like anything goes and it's all really fucking good and I don't I don't it's a mystery and they make yeah. money and they've been around. I'm gonna for play a little years. bit of Blue Camel and then I'm gonna talk about one more world music one after that. Thank you. 
Mm-hmm. And there's something you can tell about this kind of recording. This is like a they were up close and personal yeah. with that sax man. <laughs> you can hear every key click. <laughs> well, you can it hear just, literally everything. It's kind of interesting because I know I it'd be cool to get more info about like the like engineering of these albums. I think yeah, too. I really want to know about that. Yeah, because um, ECM's more known for the opposite of that, like more spacious room mm. sounds as opposed to something like Blue Note would have more of the up and front, like the yeah. whole bands in your face thing. So I assume they have... But then the percussion in the background is also like pretty spaced out. Yeah, so I don't know the... like how many engineers they use. There's probably not that many different ones. I got to imagine it's probably just I like can't imagine. two no, or three. We were talking about the economics, man. Doesn't yeah, work. yeah. Well, no, also, they seem anal enough about their sound that they wouldn't want just a bunch of random assholes coming in and doing it that way. Um, but I, it was interesting, though, because it's still, like, listening to all these in a row, it's like, you, it's all, it's weird kind of getting familiar, like, my ears are getting accustomed to the particular space in a way, and, like, I don't know that, like, I don't think all of these were recorded in that same studio, you but, like... You can hear the room. You kind of can in a weird way, like, it all, it, that's, I think, part of it's, like, the um, cohesion of it is, like, Mm-hmm. That room, obviously, like every each room does have a very particular sound. Like that is a thing, and you know, I I think it this particular studio is very warm or something, and it just I don't know. There's just something in these recordings, and they've been all so different. It's like they do them differently out there, dude. I guess so. <laughs> they do it different. Yeah, I guess so. I want to play one more example here from their world department, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a duet between accordion. And cello. And basically the idea behind it is to create like a kind of a new form of tango, I think was their mission. Okay, cool, cool. And uh, it's Dino Saluzzi and Anya Lechner, German cellist. So uh, interesting combo. And I kind of want to see what y'all think. Here, let me pull it up. Etc. Oh, that was really cool. I know. That was really fucking cool. <laughs> I know. Why I, is everything they do so good? That's. I was just th- thinking about that, and like, I mean, I'm. I'm sure we've only listened to like a fraction of their discography, really. Like they have right. so many records out, but like, Jesus, you could really pick like any one of those records and probably find something really cool. Yeah. It's. I mean, that's basically what I did this week. Yeah. Right. 
Well, I, I listened to like 40, I started like 40 different ECM records. I listened to more than I should have with the amount of time I had this week. <laughs> but uh, all of them were awesome. Every single I, one I picked was well, amazing. I was thinking about um, when we did our uh, triple long play, the last one we did with the, um, ah, what's that trumpet player's name? Who's, sorry, who? The trumpet player uh, that we did for our last triple long play. Why am I blanking? It wasn't Lee Morgan, was it? It was Lee Morgan, thank you. Okay. And um, so I, I believe that album was Blue Note, um, but someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, um, no, yeah, Jiggalo's Blue, Blue Note, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. But in any case, um, it's definitely on a famous jazz album, uh, label. <laughs> uh, but, you know, our our impressions of it were just like, yeah, it's good, but we didn't find it that interesting. It was just like good playing but a very just sort of run-of-the-mill jazz album that you'd expect mm -hmm. from like a blue note kind of thing whereas you know picking random albums from this just is like what the each time so you know cool. it's it's ugh. and what? honestly i think like the experimental kind of uh vein they go down usually is pretty attractive to like most people i think in general so what i'm saying is there's not a bunch of crazy insanely weird you know like weird hit smashing your keyboards with your fists and mm -hmm. like all that kind of weird shit. Like the farthest away from like listenable for everyone in the whole universe was like, guess like David Torn. Yeah. But even that, like even that's listenable. Uh, yeah. For people. I think it's something about like, I mean, it's just maybe the production or just the style, like the space that it allows the music to really like breathe and allows mm -hmm. you to really listen to it. So it's not like an onslaught it, of noise. It's done. It in gives such you time a way. to think about it. Yeah. yeah Cause you know, I mean, yeah, that's a really dissonant like chord, but if you can kind of like sit with it for a second, you can like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, I'm not like hurting myself. Um, I will say, if, we, oh, if, if there's any critiques of ECM, and I don't even think these are real critiques, um, some of their 80s disc, uh, output was a, a little 80s. Okay, I, I would challenge you to find any... I was yeah, going to say... 80s, the 80s were... A very dominating time in terms of sound. And I don't know how much of it has to do with the advent of the digital synthesizer. I would guess a pretty oh, damn yeah. large, insane <laughs> 95% plus part. The other 5% is like gated reverb on a snare drum for your power ballads. <laughs> but the 80s sound just destroyed any other ideas. It's just I like, oh, really, digital I, synthesis. Exactly. I think, not that the 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 output just had I think is due to the technology. It wasn't due to the musicians. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, like one of my favorite records, this <laughs> right here, "Bass Desires" by Mark Johnson. Uh, Mark Johnson playing bass and Peter er Erskine on drums. But the front line is Bill Frizzell and John Schofield both playing guitars. Uh, it's really cool because it's like stand-up bass and drums, so more of like a kind of like eh, not quite fusiony sound, but like a more rock jazz in a way with the two guitars up front but i think it's frizzell has a guitar synthesizer that he uh, chooses to use on quite a lot of these tracks <laughs> oh, no. it's like oh no oh, sounds good man <laughs> so how come it was sick when Matheny did it oh shit it wasn't no i kind of like well no it's know, good when he, I like good when he does it because he, he picks such a weird sound and he like that's the only sound he ever used yeah on every like, record yeah, yeah it's the same it's just kind of like yeah i guess i learned to love this <laughs> um i have seen criticism too and this is not something i necessarily agree with but it's a very uh white label for a jazz label 
I can see that. It is predominantly white, but it is also a European label. Yes, that's true. And they do do plenty of world music recordings. But overall, it is... That's a good point. Probably like... One I did not think of... 90% white people, yeah, which... Yeah, there's a lot of white people. I'm looking at the playlist we have, and it's just like mostly white people. Yeah. But yeah, but it doesn't matter. Europe. <laughs> it's in Europe. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's in Europe. They're, they're nasty. Come on. Oh, well. Everything <laughs> they put out is so... T- <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, God, I wanted to talk a little bit too about just like, even outside the music, um, I read that they, a museum in Munich, Haus der Kunst, actually came out with an ECM exhibit. Dude. Like in 2012, I think, or something like that. Like, I toured through Munich twice. Why the fuck did I not go there? I don't know. I mean, I, it's probably not there now, I guess, but like... Or maybe oh, they just, did it that year. Okay. Maybe, maybe. I don't actually know, but like, how many record labels are in a fucking museum? <laughs> That's like... It's pretty sick. I mean, obviously, yeah, we look at Blue Note. That's like super important, but like... Yeah, Motown's probably in. Yeah, music, yeah. So. Well, maybe talk about this at the end, just like sort of the difference between like jazz and rock labels and things. Um, but it's pretty cool that there's an exhibit. Um, also, the album covers are all fucking beautiful. And yeah, especially actually, I was for- going to have you show that album cover one more time for the like. Yeah, this was really cool. Yeah. It's like someone like it's their body, but it's like grass and stuff. But I really like um, <laughs> this. Is like kind of more their stuff. It's very always very kind of like spacious and muted and I don't know. They're all um, really cool. I bring it up because there's been two books printed of their album covers. Wow. Like, it's such a thing that they have just really beautiful looks to them that there's two whole books of this. And that, to me, speaks of someone with, like, a complete vision Mm -hmm. of what they want from music. You know what I mean? I think so. And that's super cool to have someone who has, like, in every aspect of his music, like or not his music, but you know, every aspect of his curation, like mm-hmm. in his mind, and then ready to output into the world. That's right. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, they've been around for fifty years, but like to have that much of an output and have it so consistently good is, again, like what other label can really yeah. say well, that? What other labels around fifty years ago? I mean, like only the ultra hugest rock labels, and like yeah, even Note, those I, are dying. I think Blue Note was like ten years before or twenty years before. So that's been around for a long time. Gotcha. And I will say the Blue Note photography, especially back in the days, that's a pretty iconic thing too. Although they don't, True. they do different things now, obviously. But, but BCM hasn't. They kind of kept the same vibe throughout all of it. It's, yeah, it's really just this fucking Manfred. Like, what an interesting guy. Like, yeah, he's like, I don't want to play music. I want my life to be putting out other people's music. But, like. He just definitely had a vision, I guess, and stuck with it. It's Yeah, he, he has, like, a certain sound in mind. Mm-hmm. And whether that sound takes form in, like, certain timbres or, like, whatever, it mm-hmm. doesn't really matter as much. But, like, this. Uh, I would say, like, emotional, spacious, attention to detail, every little thing you can mm-hmm. hear, you know what I mean? It's not, you don't have your super dense mixes, et cetera. You can hear, like, on that uh, Tango record, for instance... Like every time that a quick staccato note is played in the accordion, like you can hear the trails off to the side, and then you, mm. the cello player leaves a little space. It's, it's things like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I think is kind of the specialty of this label, I, and that why I'm so attracted to it is because you can hear just everything. Yeah, I, I wonder now that you're saying that, like, 
maybe there's something to his like production style where it is more just getting the artist to relax because and you know it's a sort of what natural thing to get into a studio and be a little more tense not listening as much more like kind of jumping ahead a little bit and it's maybe like oh, i gotta nail the part so you know maybe he's just a very soothing individual and he comes in and he's just like yeah let's have some tea and just well okay let's play now <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, yeah let's uh what did you say like uh you said earlier, it's like, we're going to go to lunch and just talk about this. You know what I mean? We're going to talk yeah. about music in general, not even the album we're producing yeah. right now. I, I think he's, I think that's part of the magic is just how like personal he makes it like the recording process. Cause it, I mean, it doesn't sound like a recording. It sounds like people playing music, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Almost as it almost like removes a barrier. Even. It kind of does. It, it sort of puts you in that space too with them. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, so cool jacking him off all over the place <laughs> yeah exactly i think i've kind of run out of things to say about ecm man. yeah I've... me too we didn't get into they've done a lot of soundtrack stuff and they I... have and they actually generally release their soundtracks as records as well mm -hmm. there is one that i liked uh it was called moon days by meredith monk Oh, Meredith Monk's a badass, too. Yeah. Well, oh. I think she made that movie, too. Oh, interesting. And um, that's... She made the soundtrack and movies. Basically, like, it's, it's just straight, like, acapella vocals. But, like, it's really... I think there was a review of it that's, like, using the voice... Or as what's the very first instrument, going back to it again. Mm -hmm. Exploring all the ways your voice can do certain that's things. That's cool, yeah. And it was pretty cool. Sounds really like some Meredith Monk bullshit. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. But, yeah. I, I but like I've never seen that movie... Yeah, I was looking. I'm through. not a big cinephile myself. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of art, arty European. Yeah, artsy, movies. artsy movies. I'm kind of bad with. But then yeah. again, people will say that shit about like all the bullshit we just listened to for an hour. So <laughs> that is very Whatever. true. Um, yeah. But it, it's just, I, it's. I do appreciate that they have sort of a soundtrack section that they put as much effort into as they do their nor normal yeah, releases. Cool. You know. It's pretty cool. They, it's a very artistic label. I mean, the, like we said, the, the different, like the classical, the jazz, the world, the photographs, the movies. It's, I, it's really. It's a complete it's, package. It's great. It's great. I mean, and also like, um, some of like the box sets that they they put out. It's like even like the packaging is just beautiful. Like it's, yeah, it's a label that really cares about their product. Like you were saying, it really, really goes above and beyond to make it a very beautiful thing to have in all aspects. Um, they even said to like on that streaming thing, they're like, okay, we have it all released, but the preferred way to listen to it is still CD or vinyl. So I get that. I get that. Cause it's like sound quality difference. Sure. Maybe, but also just holding the art in yeah, your hand. It's not I just think. about, you know, your, uh, your statistics, your you know your bit rate, you recorded mm -hmm. your MP, you encoded your MP3 yeah. at. It's not about your FLAC audio losses files. It's about you sitting your ass down in front of a like a record player, a stereo mm -hmm. set, or whatever, and just sitting down listening to what you're going to listen to for the next 45 minutes to an hour. It's yeah. it's more about that. It is a it lot really of the time is. with this kind of stuff for me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm I, when I put on one of these albums, for some reason I'm more apt to do that than i am maybe like a lee morgan's gigolo oh yeah 100 percent. i mean it it these records kind of create a mood i guess is what it is <clears throat> and it's like a world that they invite you into and it's like 
Yeah. Um, take me there. Take me, take me home. <laughs> no. <laughs> to Germany. <laughs> to Munich. Uh, one more little uh, thing they've got their hands in that we didn't talk about yet is they also recently started a podcast. Oh, that's right. I've been meaning to check that podcast yeah. out. Yeah. Um, it's... It's the ECM Records podcast, is what it's wow. called. <laughs> Clever name. <laughs> uh, they have three uh, episodes up now. Uh, they're all about like 20, 30 minutes. Um, but essentially, it's just whenever they have a new release coming out, they'll interview the artist. And it sounds a lot like the recording session where they kind of just sit in someone's backyard and drink some coffee and they sort of just talk about the music and talk about the artist's past and their previous recordings. Um, listen to the Joe Lovano one, their first one. and talks about his composition process a bit. He talks a lot about his history, like on the label as well, and different groups he's been in with like Paul Motion and Bill Frizzell. And mm. it was, it's very much like artist driven. The interviewer doesn't talk that much. And it's more just kind of like, let's talk about this and let's let the artists sort of talk about what they want to talk about. So it's a pretty cool podcast. If you like our podcast, maybe you'll like their podcast. Probably like That's their right. podcast more than our podcast. <laughs> That's probably also true. <laughs> But you better still say subscribe, motherfuckers. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think we've drained DCM's uh, ball sack here. So <laughs> <laughs> twice over, man. <laughs> Have to end with some like crude humor because we just we're talking about how beautiful well, I mean, all this stuff. Was, <laughs> I spent all my like happy, nice mm -hmm. you know, praise energy. Motherfucker, yeah! <laughs> time like to rant! I was gonna say, sounds like a ranting time to me. <laughs> That's right. All right. I uh. Flew for the first time recently, you know, or in a while recently, and uh, this is completely unmusic related except for just the tiniest little bit. Okay, so the COVID thing has ended essentially. All airlines are back to full capacity. I managed to get a seat with uh, no middle, or no Oof. person in the middle, so a person at the window, and I'm in the aisle. Nice. It was cool. The problem with this scenario is this lady did not get the message. That I was trying to not talk to anyone at any. Oh in the my morning. god! No, no, check it out. So, like, you know, it makes sense. You're first, blah blah blah, all this kind of stuff. Um, but then, you know, once takeoff starts, I clamp on my headphones as, or I put in one my does. earbuds. Mm -hmm. Was what happened in this case. That did not stop this lady. I was turning on Buggles, and <laughs> I was trying to like I was turning that shit up, and this lady just leaned right over and was like, "So, how long have you lived in Seattle?" No. No, this happened like six times, like throughout the flight, and she got up every five minutes. How long a flight is that? Two hours. Oh, that's, and, that's uh, rough, 20 buddy. Minutes. Yeah, yikes! I got up like ten times, and one time, like two of those times, were her to move her bag from one area of the overhead compartment to another. I don't understand those people on airplanes. Like, yeah, it's not comfortable. Like, no one's comfortable on an airplane, but like. Just sit down and deal with it. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, well, what kind of person doesn't get the headphone thing? That too. I hope I hope you're like, excuse me, ma'am, I'm trying to listen to Buggles. Could you please? <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, ma'am, I'm listening to Rabio Bukhalil. <laughs> you should have just been like, have you heard of ECM Records by <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I should have countered. Oh, my the, God. Oh, that's the way. Okay, yeah. that's the you secret You could have gotten right some, like, first-hand research about how well-known this label is. I'm sure she listens to ECM a lot. Of course, yeah. She seemed like the type, right? Yeah, of course. That That's a great idea for next time, is to counter with your own stupid bullshit. 
<laughs> she probably you got a reinforcement. Well, I was just thinking she'd probably be into it because you'd, you'd be like, "Well, I'm actually I, I run a podcast and I'm trying to do whatever." Like, can I ask you about this? And she'd probably oh, be just, no, like, "So it like that's why you can't really counter because I'm sure they'll take you up Good on point. it." And then what? Good point. Damn. Yeah. <sighs> you got a rant for me? Uh, you know. I know we were going to maybe do this as a vignette later, but I'm just going to rant because I'm oh, still mad time? about it. I'm still mad about it, but um, I don't, I'm not going to name names, and I very doubt this person listens to us, or anyone who knows this person listens to us, so it's probably fine. Um, but I think I ranted about this person before on our Vocalist Sucks episode, I believe actually. you did, yeah. Um, but anyway, there is this singer-songwriter that I played in their band for a bit, probably did like five six shows and recorded on like an ep they did um and they're fine they're totally nice um and i was happy to play um but haven't really been in contact in over a year at least and out of the blue i get a text today from them being like hey hope you're well i just started a gofundme for my uh, new album so it'd be great if you could support it and it's <laughs> So there's two things going on here that I hate. One is yeah. just hitting someone up out of the blue that you haven't talked to in forever. And at least I guess she didn't give like a whole like, oh, let's do a whole conversation and then I'm going to ask you for money. At least she like came right out and was like, hey, can you give me money? Yeah. So that saves some bullshit time. But like, You got to hit ignore faster. Exactly. Yeah. But asking other musicians for money, like we're all in the same boat generally yeah, speaking like, like and like yeah i'll like sure i'll go to your release show fine whatever yeah or whatever i'll subscribe yeah. to your fucking youtube page even though yeah. i won't it just i found it kind of insulting in a way i mean i don't think she meant it to be insulting but like no. to be like hey i've done a like a i played with you for like not very much money i did a recording for free like or even you know all the time spent learning the songs things like that it's like these are things that I was not compensated for and I never said anything about it and it's fine because that's what happens sometimes but then to be, like, reach out out of the blue and be like hey you want to like chip into this thing for me that'd be cool right right yeah. right I don't know it just struck me as very kind of like rude in a way and I know they didn't mean it like that but like it's well it's the lack of thought is it's the lack it of thought to. and then as you were saying when we were talking about earlier the circle of money Going from musician to back to other musicians. The circle of money <laughs> never goes anywhere else. Right? Like, don't, would you even want, like, other musicians to, like, <laughs> give you money in that sense? I no, don't think dude, I would. I would never ask for that, ever, because no. I know they're poor, too. Like, come exactly. on, Exactly. If you're that much of a fan, yeah, totally. I would love, like, here, support me. That's great. But, like, I know you're, yeah, exactly. I know you're poor. We're in the same boat. We're doing the same gigs. Like, yeah. Like, what the, I don't know. I don't know. Just, just kind of, kind of ticked me off a little bit. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a grump, grump inducing. Yeah, yeah. But I wish her all the best. I hope it goes well. Yeah, but, <laughs> but oh, I will not man. plug it because then I will uh, have named the person. So we're not going right. to, we're not going to plug. But anyway, good luck to them. <laughs> so, <laughs> what you been listening to besides a bunch of ECM? <laughs> Well, uh, instead of listening to ECM jazz, I listened to other jazz. And oh. I didn't look up what label this is off of, but you'll be able to tell me because I'm stupid. Uh, I'm listening to my favorite Miles Davis album, I think. It's, I can never really decide on a favorite, but Sorcerer. Ooh, I believe it was a song Columbia. Columbia, I okay. Think. I, I, I might be wrong, but I, 
a lot. I think all his like fusion-y later jazz stuff was Columbia. Yeah, I really like Sorcerer. I love Sorcerer's Sorcerer. Sorcerer is dope. The second yeah. quintet, man, that's that's my oh, shit. Yeah. That's my oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Um, uh, the again, since I'm getting away from all the pretty music, I was listening to Velvet Revolver, their debut album Contraband. Um, for those not in the know, Velvet Revolver is basically the musicians of Guns N' Roses and the singer of Stone Temple Pilots. And this came out in like, well, I don't know, 2001 or something like that. Uh, but man, it's a really good rock album. It's very modern, mm-hmm. grungy, blues rock. Sounds good still. Like I used to listen to it all the time when it came out. I was a huge fan. But it holds up really well. Like It's, it's got that big, big produced sound, obviously, but like riffs are killer it's slash so obviously that's really good um <laughs> but scott whalen you know i don't think he gets a lot of credit because stone temple pilots was always sort of like the grunge band that wasn't a real grunge band but he's a dude stone temple pilots is good man. i know he's a really good singer and like melody writer um and also sadly died of heroin like not even that long it was like five years ago damn so thinking about his dmx just died of a overdose yeah. and it's like man these musicians are just doing a lot of heroin Huh. I, it's funny, I, I saw Stone Devil Pilots. Oh, God, it must have been pretty soon before he died. Um, but supposedly he was clean at that time. And so he, uh, we're watching the show. It's a big outdoor festival thing. And um, he crowd surfs at one point. And he got close to, like, me and my sister. And, like, up close it was like, oh, you can tell this guy does drugs. Like, like... Everyone, like, had their hands up. I was like, oh, shit, we're going to, like, crowd surf. And then he got close. I was like, I'm not going to touch him, actually. And, like, like, he looked like a skeleton. It was fucking, it was crazy. He still sounded really great. But, like, up close, I was just like, oh, my God, this is what drugs do to you, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't do them. (laughs) Yeah, go show this in elementary school. Oh, God. But sounded fucking killer. Anyway, good Brock album. If you like rock, sick and tired of all this stupid ECM jazz bullshit. You just want to, like, drink some beer and, like, talk to some chicks and, like, do some heroin. Yeah. yeah. We don't need no fucking European jet. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Somebody scout yeah, me. I think that signals the end of our episode. <laughs> My name's Jake. I'm Matt. <laughs> and uh, please subscribe to us on YouTube. Yeah, Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review or a rating. And uh, just tell everyone you've ever met in your entire life that we're funny and cool and smart and handsome and whatever bullshit you want to come up with to make them listen to us. Yeah. Also, let us know what your favorite ECM record is. That too, man. Because that'd actually be kind of interesting if you. Yeah, actually, I mean, seriously, that'd like, be kind any of, of them are good. There's so sure. many to pick, like, pick from. So, and also, if you are yeah, not exactly. familiar with ECM, literally go on their discography and just pick a random one, and I'm sure you will anything. like it. Anything. Yeah. Anything. Go listen. All right. All right. We're done. Music sucks. I want to die. Bye. Bye.